Helping Hands Ministry. You can put cans on the shelving that we have in the lobby. And also for Treehouse Ministry for items for little babies when families can't afford them. And also Easter lilies. If you'd like to donate an Easter lily or $10 this year, we have a sign-up sheet in the lobby for either in honor of somebody or somebody who's passed away. We're grateful for them. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John 7, 38. Let's stand together as we worship together. join me with this morning's prayer confession. Sovereign Lord, forgive us for the times we have taken our tomorrows for granted. We just run headlong into time and make plans, presuming we have all the time in the world. We admit we neglect going to you in prayer, seeking your wisdom on decisions we make for our lives and others. Other times, we avoid your word because we are afraid it might douse our plans and squelch our desires. O oh Lord, we need your help in our inner battle of trying to take your place as being God. We want to control and be able to run the show because in reality, we lack faith in you. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to look to you as we make plans and decisions, realizing that your overriding them is really a blessing. All this we pray in the cleansing blood of Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Psalms 103, verses 11 through 13. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. 
guidelines for living this morning also comes from Psalms 103, verse 1 through 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. You can stand with us as we continue to worship God Almighty to save.
before we do, Steve, do you want to read to us about what a friend we have in Jesus? For this hymn, we can look at Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps the main message of this hymn is found in the second verse, which says, Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The last line of the hymn is the promise. In his arms shall take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Written in 1855 by Joseph Strick. Well, in the first service, I mentioned that this song was sung at my daughter, our daughter's memorial service, and she passed away two years ago. And we chose this song because there is no better friend to us than Jesus. And he is there, you know, he has been there with my family, my, my husband and I, and just has given us so much strength. And, uh, losing our son as well. I mean, it's just, if, if we didn't have a friend like Jesus, then we would just be a, a real hot mess. And we just, I'm thankful for that. Thank you for all of you for prayers. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks that you are our friend. And that we have a friend in Jesus who laid everything down so that we could have eternal life. We praise you in those dark times that we go through in the valleys of the shadow of death that we go. That you're by our side as a friend with carrying us sometimes even through those difficult times. We just praise you, Lord, for the many blessings you've given to us, not only eternally but here on this earth. Receive these gifts of our gratitude and joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and glory and honor for what a great God that you are. God who loves us, understands us, and also gives us this wonderful friend who's our companion through life, through the storms and difficulties of life. I thank you this morning that Marcia joined us again, and it's so good to have her back. And we praise you, especially on this day where they're celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And I just pray for their hearts as they continue to heal from the loss of their two children. I pray, Father God, that you will strengthen them and abide by them. We also pray for our nation, Lord. We know the challenges that are before our nation. We think of the poor people of Ukraine who've had to run for their lives, who are fighting for their country, who are trying to keep hope alive. We pray especially, Father, that you'll be with the families, especially that have been broken up, and for children that have been orphaned, and and for um, men that are fighting against Russia, Lord, and the tragedies that we've seen already of civilians being killed in this war. We pray also for the Russian people, Lord, especially as they're dealing with the aftermath of our, many of the countries are putting stuff on them to keep them from, but it's affecting the citizenry of Russia. And people who are innocent who don't even know they're in a war, Lord, are being affected and, and broken by this thing. I pray that, you, Lord, you'll either take out Putin, Father, or that he will come to his senses, or there are people around him will make him come to his senses and cease doing what he's doing. I pray also, too, Father God, for the other areas, the hot spots in the world with China, Taiwan, and, and also in the Middle East and some of those areas that are hot spots. Jesus, just give wisdom to our leaders and to the leaders of the world that are uh, to keep sanity and chaos from erupting. We pray, Father God, too, Lord, for those in our church, Lord, as we make a shift in our denomination, the final change, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom, that we'll do what's right in your sight, and that we want to honor you the most we can, Lord. And so give us that wisdom. We pray also, too, Father God, for those brothers and sisters that we have in our congregation that are struggling. I pray again, continue to lift up Joyce, who lost her granddaughter, and, and be with her and her family as they heal from the grief that they're going through. I pray for Lucille. I pray for Kelly. I pray for Howard, um, for all those that have illnesses and sicknesses, Lord. We pray for Betty as she goes to uh, Africa, Lord. Give her and her daughter a safe journey, and they have a wonderful time, Lord. We pray also, too, Father, for the families that have lost um, homes and, and even lost life in the fires that we've had up in Hutchinson and Reno County and, and around the state. We pray also, too, for your presence through all that are going through difficulty, especially for Don Hong right now, as he's having open heart surgery, Lord, that... Uh, bringing hope to their hearts.
now, Father God, open up your word to us that we may need and hear what we need to hear today, that we may honor you with our lives, Jesus, and we thank you for these wonderful examples in our lives. In our Christian lives and as we go through the obstacles and difficulties in our lives through life. Anything, especially sometimes like the children of Israel had to wander for 40 years and a whole generation had to drop in the desert with their boredom and with their satisfaction with God because they were unbelieving of what God had promised them to do. But now we're in the land of Canaan and we're finishing up the battles. And what a wonderful thing. But here's a lesson today in our text for everybody. And one of the things that we find out that age is not a factor. That's good for me to hear. <laughs> but age is not a factor. Because what we hear, Joshua, God is saying to Joshua, you still haven't finished a job. And you've got a lot to do. And he's in his 80s. In fact, we hear it said, now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years and very much the land remains to be possessed. He's gotten to the assignment and God's given it to them. And what a wonderful thing that we know. You know, how do we know that we're old? Think about this. Do you remember when soft drinks were bottles and you handed them back in for a nickel? Can you remember when gas was 26 cents a gallon? <laughs> I remember pumping that at a Getty station. What are the kids today going to say to their grandkids? Oh, it was 386 then. <laughs> How about nobody owned a purebred dog in those days? Coffee shops had table-side jukeboxes on them. How do we know we're old when our telephone number has a prefix, sophomore 19972? How many remember when refrigerators were called iceboxes? How many of us remember when letter jackets were just for athletes? And how many of us remember there were no seatbelts in the car? In fact, in the back window, you could lay in the back and take a nap while Dad was driving the car down the road. In fact, I remember my grandfather had a, a Plymouth, and it was a 57, and it was a metal dashboard, and all three of us, or his grandchildren, sat up, stand up in the front seat. That's why I hit my head a couple of times and why I'm not always right. Um, and how many of us remember the Beals and Ed Sullivan show? Well, if you remember those, then we're getting old. But just remember, as the Word of God says here, God's not finished with us right up until the day we die. We see that in our scripture today in chapter 13. We find here in chapter 13 that the work was not done. All the inhabitants of the hill country of, from Lebanon, it was far from Mithatho, Maine, and all the Sidonians, I would drive them out before the sons of Israel and will allot to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore apportion this land for the inheritance to the tribe, the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Now one of the things we find here is that things had slowed down. There was no more battles to be fought, but that just as the land needed to be cleared out. And yet there was disobedience in the land. The Manasseh, people from Manasseh didn't obey what the Lord had told them to do. Manasseh was going to be a buffer zone for the children of Israel so that anybody came to try to fight Israel from the, uh, from the Jordan River, that they would be the buffer zone and be the fighting zone. But one of the things that they did is they were incomplete in their obedience to God. And one of the things that happens... 
God had called them to utterly and completely remove the people from there so they could settle into the land, and yet they did not. Douglas MacArthur, one of our great generals, once said, there's no substitute for victory. Either you do the whole thing or you're going to have problems later on. And he was right. Manasseh did have problems. And the first thing we learn here from, with Manasseh and this group of people is that you cannot be a borderline believer. If you want to be beat back, then you only believe half of what you do. What we have here is the children of Israel were only believing half of it, and therefore they were going to have problems all through their generation. They were going to have problems with the people that were living there who had corrupted them and made them compromise their lives. And there's no inheritance when you compromise your life. You don't get the full fact. And what we have here is there was religion that was even being altered. And yet the Levites were meant there to help be salt and light, and yet they weren't listening to them. These people from Manasseh were half-baked believers in what God had said. And one of the things that you and I need to remember in our own personal walk with life, that we can't be a half-believer. We either are fully on board with Jesus Christ or we're not at all. Because it's easy to fall into the depths of our lives and mess up majorly. Jesus said it once to us. He said, be in the world, but not of it. And it's so easy to get caught up into the world saying that we forget about God. We see this great understanding. You know, I can remember one time that I was foolish enough. I had an uncle that had a dock and he had a boat. And I stood on the boat and I stood on the dock. And he dared me without being tied down. And guess what happened to me? Farther and further and I went plop right in. I thought I had strong enough legs to hold it together and I didn't. And what we find out, we can't live that kind of life. And that we in this pilgrim journey have to continue to rest on God's promises. God has so many promises in the Bible for us. And that if we take it to this way, there are 7,464 promises that God gives you and me in the Bible. And if we were to do one a week, we'd have to be 144 years to exhaust it. If we did one a day, it would be 21, uh, 21 years until we exhausted that list. But those promises are for you. And this is what kept Joshua and Caleb far above the children of Israel. Was because they trusted in what God was doing. And they weren't going to allow any thought, any compromise, any half-baked means to be able. In fact, the Bible says that Caleb and Joshua were wholehearted for the Lord. When we have that kind of way, we will have victories in our life. So far here we see Caleb, 85 years old. And yet, he, time, age is not an issue for him. He still fights for the Lord. Listen to what it says here in Joshua chapter 14, chapter, verse 10 and following. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses, when Israel walked into the wilderness, and now, behold, I am 85 years old today. And I am still strong today as I was the day Moses sent me, and the strength was then to my strength now for the war and for going out and coming in. And now then, give me the hill country which the Lord spoke on that day for your you heard on that day that Anakim were there and with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out 
as the Lord has opened. Now, one of the things we find here is that what keeps Joshua striving is his faith. He's not going to let anything hold him back, not even his age. In fact, look at the testimony he gives. He says, even though I'm 85, I still can do it. I still have the strength. I still have the power. I can do it because I know the Lord is in it. I'm not afraid. And look what he asked for. He doesn't ask for the plains to fight the battle in. He doesn't ask for the easy war. He says, give me the hill country, which is the hardest country to fight in. He says, give that to me. Give me the hard stuff. And the reason why is not because he felt himself more powerful, but he knew with the Lord he could do anything. You see, this is the kind of person that Caleb was. Caleb didn't falter to what other people said. Caleb was believing what God could do for him. And we notice he doesn't ask for the easy land. He asks that he can trust God and he wants the hardest land so he can prove God's greatness in his life. Age was not a factor for him. Sometimes it's so easy to feel like, oh, I'm getting too old now for this. No, Dave, you're not. God's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for your life. And just as he did with Joshua and Caleb, so you can gain victory over it. You don't have to throw in the towel. You can be a great part of people's life. One of the tragedies in our society today is there are young people who need the wisdom of our adults and our senior citizens and the people who've been through life together. This whole thing that happened, I was called out a week ago Friday night to the mall out on the east. And this young man that was killed and these young men who killed him. It's amazing to me that they feel that the only way they can get a father image is to join a gang and do something foolish with their lives. How tragic that is. We know that the jails right now are filled. 82% of those in jail and incarcerated are people who've had had relationships with father and they need the male image. Psychologists teach us. They say to us that young men need men two times in their life, very important, integral, watershed parts of their life. Number one is when the umbilical cord is cut. Around two years old, they need that. And that's why they press their authority at two years old. Another time is when they're teenagers and they need to have the, the apron strings from mama cut from them. Otherwise, they're going to seek it somewhere else. And what we have, the tragedy in the black community is that we have, and, and now it's the white community too, dads are not there. They go to these gangs and that becomes their father image and they impress the person who's in charge so that they can feel like a man. We saw that even happen with a child from this church who now is in prison for murder and he's going to do over 50 years for the murder of a, a grandmother. How foolish that is. But you see, that's because they didn't have the influence of good male monitoring, and a good male mentor, a good male disciple. We call it disciple. The world calls it monitoring, uh, uh, mentoring. But that's what young men need today. They need this male like a Caleb. A man who's courageous. A man who's not afraid to stand for what is right and tell it so. And that age doesn't become a factor at all. We had here this past summer a man by the name of Don Owen, retired pastor, but still serving the Lord in a capacity to help a church out, trying to serve and, and lead ahead. He had three churches under his belt after he retired already. He was serving one now and 
He used to come to our um, morning uh, coffee clutch over here at, at Panera. And Friday we got the call that he had wound up, he was getting ready for surgery to get his hip redone. And he got a blood infection and wound up dying Friday night. And uh, what a tragedy. But the Lord had him ready to go. And he is now enjoying glory. And we, we pray for his family. But the challenge that he, he did not, re, he retired. But we would crack up at, he'd call me the rabbi. And we were cracking up because he was saying, yeah, I should have stayed working because I'm doing more now that I'm, I'm, I'm retired than I was when, when I wasn't retired. He says, I got to find some time. He said, I wanted to do some woodwork. He said, I've got the stack of wood still in my garage. It's there for me someday. I know I'm going to get to it. Well, God has him probably been working on it now up in heaven. But what a great guy. And he's the kind of example. We, are, we have men in this church. You guys are, are great examples of what God can do with your life. And notice what he says. There was, he was never too old for any conquest because the Lord had him. And he wasn't afraid to take anything on because he knew the Lord was using him. Caleb had a son-in-law who rubbed off on his son-in-law, and his son-in-law went to honor God through service in Israel. His daughter did, took fields and was changing them into grain fields because she saw her father and, and the way he was a great example. And we seniors, uh, saints, we are needed. We're needed throughout. No matter how old we are, we are not. And you know what? He was never afraid to take on any task. When he felt the Lord was calling him to do it, this fellow Caleb went after it, no matter how big. These iron chariots, these are the, the technology of the day that was the top flight technology, and yet, guess what? He wasn't afraid. He took on the hill country, which is the hardest fighting that you have, and, and yet he was willing to fight it. Caleb was not afraid to stand alone. We saw that back in his younger days. When he was 40 years old and the children of Israel sent him and Joshua and 10 others to go out spy the land. And, and they come to Kadesh Barnea, they come back and they say, the land is ours. We've got it. And the other 10 guys are going, no, they've got guys that are so big, they're giants. They could be pro football players. And he said, well, it's a better target. See, he had an attitude that was right. And he was not afraid no matter what he was going to take on. The majority wasn't always right, and he knew it. In Numbers chapter 14, it says, he says, do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Notice he had God's focus of faith in his life. They, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, he said. Do not be afraid of them. See, he was the type of God, hey, strap on your, your, your sword. And let's go take them. Lock and load. We're going after these guys. Caleb was not afraid. And so he was willing to stand alone. He believed when other people don't, didn't believe. How easy it is. You guys know it. How easy it is to give in to the naysayers. Who are the ones who are always complaining. The people who are by nature just say, oh, that we can't do this. They're always negative. It's so easy not to, and to fall into that trap. But Joshua and Caleb had these desires. 7,464 7, promises, and they believed them. They weren't listening to the people. Oh, I wish I was back in Egypt. Oh, I, I was sick when that manna came. Why did we even leave Egypt? 
We're riding around in circles. Oh, Joshua's a poor leader. This is all the naysayers are saying. And the problem is they need to stop complaining and have faith. You see, one of the problems that easily can fall into is that complaining can be a very dangerous thing. Complaining takes away faith. Complaining sees always the negative side. And here the Bible says to us six times that Caleb was wholeheartedly devoted to God. He was not afraid because of his heart was zoned into God. And God gave him a mission. Even when things got tight for a while, he still kept his faith focused on God. This past week I was in Panera. I know it surprises you all of you. And there was a lady came in. We struck up a conversation. And then we started talking about her life. And she started tearing up. And she said of the harsh divorce that she had gone through. And how she took her eyes off the Lord because her husband turned on her. And he tried to take the kids away from her. And that her friends at church, because she was going through this divorce, had turned their backs on her. And she felt so alone. And she even walked away from her faith for a while because she thought that God didn't care for her. And then guess what? It finally dawned on her that she needed the Lord more than ever. And she began to look at what the Lord had for her. And she opened up her eyes and God began to develop this ministry for her that now is her business. And she's so excited for what God is doing with this business of hers and what he's been able to do in her life and how he's changed her attitude. Even towards her husband, she's been able to forgive what he's done and how she's, of course, she kept, she started focusing back on the Lord and not on her problems and she gained victory over it. What a thrilling thing to see her brighten up and the people around her watching and talking to her about it. You see, there's so many things that easily trip us up. We can let our circumstances trip us up. And here she found that in her circumstances that were horrible and that she was building up hate and all these negative energy, she finally looked to the Lord and she took that circumstance and turned it upside down. And now she's using it for Lord's glory and helping people in their lives in similar situations than hers. It's easy to get stifled. And that's what we're finding out. Joshua and then quit. He trusted in the Lord. He kept his focus on the Lord. He wasn't afraid what other people thought about him because he was focused on what God had done. And that's how easy it is to get those stifled, get off the path. She got off the path and she realized it. And see, this is what happens. Notice the words. It says, but the sons of Manasseh, but yet in the King James. And what it is is that here comes the wrench. nights rather than get rid of them and have their own place where they can spiritually be filled you see this is where they're struggling and where they gave themselves over to friendship with the world jesus says friendship with the world shouldn't be part of us we're in the world but not of it and we have to be different than the world and here this is what manassas group did to them i remember a guy that i knew um he was a a fellow that had come to know Christ uh, through a very bad situation. In fact, uh, he wound up getting tossed out of his house by his wife. And she was a funeral director and changed the locks on the doors. It was unbelievable. And here he was laying in this 25-watt bulb over his head. 
laying in this uh, rooming house. And finally, he just gave his life over to the Lord because he had a cockroach was crawling on him and it was just a mess. But before he came to know Christ, he had a guy one time who was trying to be friends with him. The guy was a religious guy. And finally, he got tired of the guy crying and harassing him about faith. And so he said to him, I'll tell you what, bud, let's do this. Let's do an experiment. He says, why don't I go to your church for a week? Or a kingdom hall, he was Jehovah's Witness. He says, I'll go to your church for a week. And then you come with me to the bars that I go to. And you know what kind of bars he was going to. Well, he went for a week and had no change. Then he took the guy to the bar and he said, now I feel bad. Because that fellow went to that bar and by the fourth night, and he said it was a Thursday night, I remember it. He wound up starting to have an affair with this waitress. And basically, he left his wife and three kids for this waitress. And he says, to this day, I feel so terrible about that. He said, and you see, this is what happens when we make friends with the world. And we don't do God's way. It can easily stifle us. And when we compromise ourselves to what God doesn't want us to do. That's why today it says here in verse 13, It came to when the sons of Israel became strong. They put the Canaanites to forced labor. But they did not drive them out. You know why they didn't drive them out? For one, they were enjoying the times with them. But they also enslaved some of the labor so they can make money off of them. And they were also collecting taxes off of them. So part of that was their greed was sucking them in, out of God, and, and out, of, out of God's way, and going to the world's way. That's what it was doing. It was sucking them away from God. And they were saying, oh, we're strong enough to handle I've heard that before by people. In fact, cause them to stumble. Then notice in 1714, Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion of the inheritance, since I am numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? And what we have here, Joshua... Joshua basically gave them a portion of land and God said they can handle it, but they weren't. And they were complaining to God. Their pride was so great that they thought they deserved more than what God had given them. And Joshua saying, no, God has already given you what you need. You just got to manage it right. And Joseph's gang was saying, no, we need more. And they were complaining. Hmm, imagine that. No faith, complaining. Complaining against God that he didn't provide enough for them. How many times do we hear it? Do you hear it? I hear it from people who, you know, they've run up their credit cards, have all kinds of debt. If only God would give me a million dollars. <laughs> How foolish. They were complaining, though, that God had not given them enough. He's given all of us enough. Just we need to manage it right and quit the complaining. You see, here's where we see God working. Joseph's group needed to see what God had blessed them with. And then he opens his eyes up and he says, The sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley land and have chariots of iron. But those who are of Bethshean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. God, we don't have enough. And look, the iron chariots, here's their fear. 
Here's their pride in themselves that they deserve more from God. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith takes what God has given them and goes with it. And puts everything into it. And is willing to do it. Joshua is willing to, to, to give himself to whatever God wanted him to do. Joseph's gang was not willing to do that. They needed more. They began to get over God more on God. How many things do we have in our lives that sometimes we think, oh, I can't handle it. You can handle it. Oh, I have a temptation that I can't handle. You can handle it. God will not give you any more than what you can handle, the Bible says. So if he's given that to you, there's something that you need to do to grow, to beat that, to trust him more so you can handle it because he's given you already the Holy Spirit whose power is great of God that you can handle whatever he hands you. The question is, does he have possession of my heart? That's the question. You see, Joseph's gang, God didn't have their possession of their hearts. Tragically, they only had partial, partial possession. They hadn't given it all over to him. And their pride was in the way. Vince Lombardi one time recounted the days when he was a famous coach. He was in a restaurant, and every time he got in a restaurant, you know, there were kids coming over to him and wanting him to sign an autograph. And he saw this little kid darting across the restaurant towards him. And he got his pen out and was waiting for the kid to, he said, sir, can I? He said, sure. And he was about ready to sign the autograph and the kid grabbed the ketchup bottle and ran off. He needed the ketchup bottle. He didn't need the autograph of Lombardi. He said, and then God showed me, he said, that my pride was in the way. How easy that is to happen to any one of us. And what a powerful message the Bible has given us today. This is what happened with Joseph. And then finally, God says to them, you got to sweep it clean. The reason why they didn't have it, because they had clutter in their life. God had given them the right land. They weren't just ready to give up to what they had. And Joseph spoke to the house of Joshua, uh, Joshua, spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are numerous people and you have great power. And you shall not have only that lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. In his farthest border, it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites. And even though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. Joshua's calling them to have faith. But to look at the forest. You know, those forests were beautiful. It was part of their land. But they didn't want to clear it. They didn't want to work at clearing it up so that they'd have more land than they'd ever needed. And what happens with us, sometimes you know as well as I do. There are things that get in our life, that clutter our life, that keep us from full-fledged following like Caleb did with the Lord and receiving what God has given to us. Think of the clutter that comes into our lives. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Ministry in my heart sometimes becomes clutter because I'm doing too much. And what happens is I don't take time for my own spiritual development. That's why a lot of times I need to just go to the park and spend time with the Lord. Because it's so easy for even good things to take away our time. And then we don't think we have it. Think of the good thing. I was thinking about this with Peter. 
when Jesus is telling them, look, I'm going to die. And you know Peter, Lord, you're not going to die. I'm going to defend you. He pulls out his sword. I'm going to, I'm going to defend you. Now Peter is thinking the best for Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He's seeing Jesus as someone he needs to protect and whom he loves. And it's the greatest thing that he could protect the Lord. But it's the very good thing that could easily block the most important thing that we could ever use in all mankind, which is Christ had to go to the cross to die for us. Because if Peter would have been able to fight off the Romans, get Jesus away from the cross, we wouldn't have salvation. And you see, here's a good thing that Peter had on his heart. And yet, what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan was using the goodness of Peter's heart to try to block Jesus from doing the will of God in his life. And we have to be so careful because Satan is so seductive. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, I don't have time to read the Bible. <laughs> hey, what'd you think of the third game of the playoffs in the Sweet 16? Well, I saw all four games on Saturday, and oh, but I don't have time to read the Bible. <laughs> oh, Dave, Dave, Dave. You see, it's easy to lose our perspective. And even the nice things and the good things of life can easily rob us from doing the priorities that God has in our lives. We can use them to substitute. I could substitute ministry for spending time with the Lord. There's always another person to help or another thing to do. But if it's staying in the way between me and my Lord, I can't do that. Think about, too, the corrupt things in our lives. There's things in our lives that may be corrupting us. People that we hang with. I know when I was in high school, I learned this lesson early. There's certain people I couldn't hang with after a certain point because I kept friends with them and I loved them and I prayed for them. But I knew that if I would have stayed with them, I might have been brought into that lifestyle away from Christ. And I had to put up barriers to protect myself from them. And you see, this is why we need to be just like Caleb and Joshua. Because they were wholeheartedly bent to do the will of God and follow the Lord. That's the kind of guys they were. You know, there used to be a supplement commercial on. And it was good old Frank Thomas. And he said, these pills, they give me energy and stamina. <laughs> and we see that. Caleb. We need some Caleb's supplement because he still had the energy. Even in his age, he was willing to fight no matter what battle call that God had given him. And that he was personally training for the Lord's will. And he let nothing stand in his way from do, doing that. In Numbers chapter 14, here's a supplement that we hear that we need to have in our lives. My servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. That's the supplement we need, the Caleb supplement. Let's do that, folks. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these folks. I thank you for their love for you.
I thank you for the opportunities that you afford us every week and every day to do your will. To be an influence, Father, in the people that are around us. To do things that give glory to your name. I ask you, Christ, now be with these folks as they go out into their world. That you use them for your glory. That none of us has an excuse, Lord. If Caleb didn't have an excuse, we don't either. And that we want to do what your will is. We want to be the person in the lives that brings about change. Jesus, just help us do that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Please stand as we finish and close our service out with a benediction. And now God, who called the light to come out of darkness, shine in your hearts to give the light of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Amen. God's presence in your life doesn't always mean that the problems are going to go away. It means that your problems, your problems aren't going to get the best of you. God watches over you, even, even when the heat is on. He's not watching you from a remote heaven as you face the darkest hours of your life. He's right here with you now. And even the darkest night cannot overcome you.